So get your Bibles out this morning. Go to the book of Acts chapter 17. Acts 17. Now, this message this morning, I'm going to start off maybe a little strange and you'd think about a resurrection message. I'm not going to be reading the, the story of going to the empty tomb this morning. I, I'm, I'm headed kind of in a different direction. Uh, you know, I want to show you how you can have a resurrection Sunday every day of your life. I don't think the resurrection of Jesus should be celebrated just once a year, right? It should be a celebration every day of your life as you wake up and, and as you begin to catch the understanding and the revelation that Jesus is alive, he's not dead. He will come to your, your aid, your assistance, your help, whatever, if you will allow him to, right? And, and I know this may sound, you know, a little, little country here, but, you know, Jesus, he wants, he doesn't want to ride shotgun with you. Do you know what I'm talking about? Everybody that knows what I'm talking about, lift your hand. You know what I'm talking about. Okay, there's enough of you. You can explain it to the rest of them. And you're driving a car. Somebody's driving, and the person sitting in the front right seat, that guy's riding shotgun. Jesus doesn't want to ride shotgun with you. He wants you to ride shotgun with him. He wants to be driving. Hello? And he wants you in the front seat with him to talk and have conversation and, and, and you know, whatever he is going on to be the buddy right there in the front riding shotgun. But he's driving. And where we make a mistake all the time is we want to drive. How many of you get in a fight with your spouse during driving? I've kind of learned if my wife is driving, I just hang on. Try to keep quiet. Just let her go. I, we, I don't guess there's ever been a parking lot that we've ever pulled into in life that I wasn't like, she's driving and I'm looking. Oh, she's going to park there. And I'm looking. I'm already leaning towards it. And I was like, well, why'd you park over here? Well, you know, there's a reason for it. None that I could discern. But there's a reason in her mind to park there. Hey, do y'all know what I'm talking about? Come on. She'll do the same thing with me. Well, why'd you park out over here? And so, you know, uh, there's issues that go on. But Jesus wants to be driving, and he wants you to ride shotgun. And if you do that and you learn to do that, then every day is a Resurrection Sunday in your life. Every day is a day that the power of God's alive and moving in your life. If, if you're driving and he's riding shotgun, well, then, you know, all you're doing is you're going where you want to go, and then when you get in trouble, you're asking him for directions. Hello? So I'm going to, I'm going to show you today, and I want to show you some things and teach you how to have resurrection power in your life every day. Because listen to me, God doesn't want you limited. The only limit you're putting on yourself is you. You're putting your own limit on yourself, and you're believing Jesus and what he'll do for you. He wants you to be more than a conqueror is what he says. How can you be, let's think about it, how, how can he be more than a conqueror? You conquered it, and then what? You just beat it again? I mean, you know, hello? You're more than a conqueror. So I don't exactly know how to explain that to you, other than you won, but it's bigger than winning. Right? So, Jesus, he's always here with you. 
Listen to me. He's always here with you. He's always moving. And so this is where Acts, we get into Acts 17, verse 22, where Paul walks into uh, Athens, and he's going through there, and he finds, and he starts preaching to them about the unknown God. So here we go. I'm going to read verse 22, Acts 17, 22. Then it says, Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found on the altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. Now think about this a minute. These people here at Athens, they were, it's all like, let's cover all the bases. And in case we miss one, we'll make an idol over here to the unknown God. So we'll all get it right, okay? Nobody's can, we're not going to miss out. We're going to play all of our card, cards, spread all our money on the table. We bound to win somewhere, right? Okay. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing, listen, the one you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you, God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, who does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. For in him we live and we move and we have our being, as some of your poets have said. For we, also his, we are also his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stones or something shaped by art or man's devisings. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. So the Apostle Paul is saying that the resurrection of Jesus was a total and complete affirmation and all evidence needed to say God is God because he raised Jesus from the dead. But when they heard this, the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, while others said, we will hear you again on this matter. So you got to understand something. We start talking about the resurrection from the dead. There's a lot of people in the world that say, that's crazy. That's crazy talk. All right. Well, they did in that day and they still do today. But you got to understand something. I learned a long time ago that you're a whole lot better off learning from someone who is smarter than you. Huh? Not trying to figure it all out on your own and being wrong and then having to come through that mistake again and come through that mistake again and overcome this and overcome that because you're trying to say, I'm going to do it myself. I just want to know who's right. And then I want to do it like they did. 
Hello? Okay, well, so I don't mind taking lessons from the Apostle Paul. All right? Because if somebody thinks they're smarter than the Apostle Paul, I got to tell you, well, he wrote, you know, two-thirds of the New Testament and influenced the whole entire world. And so I just say to you, what have you done? If we're going to be comparing things, let's just, let's just compare what did you do, okay, so that I need to listen to you. I'm not being ugly. I'm just saying we have to understand that you want to learn from somebody smarter. Here's the Apostle Paul saying everything in your life hinges upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Had Jesus not resurrected, then he's just a good story and he was a good man and, and he went around doing good things and, and we could all say, yeah, well, you know, Appreciate the good things you did, but he couldn't really help you. He couldn't give you assistance. He couldn't help you with your problems, your broken hearts, your understanding, or, or just you're trying to find your way through life. He couldn't help you. But the Apostle Paul said it all hinges on this, that Jesus arose from the grave. Now, when Jesus arose from the grave, it wasn't like he was just seen by the disciples. Paul says that he's seen by over 500 people. Wasn't like it was just like a, 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 a something that was so minuscule, hidden in the corner of life that you couldn't, you know, on, on, you were depending on just a few people. There was a lot of people, all right. And so he says, "Let's back up to what he's saying." He's telling these people that God put you in the place that you're at, born from the family you're at. All for the purpose that it was the blessed place, the best place for you to be so that you might find Jesus. Now, just think about that for a minute. I don't know about y'all, but I get overwhelmed sometimes. You know, there's so much going on, so much things taking place. Got to do this, got to go there, got to get this done. Trying to remember this, I forget things, and I feel bad for because I forgot things. Then my wife tells me, why didn't you write it down? And I say, I did write it down. She said, where'd you write it down on? I don't know, I can't find the piece of paper I wrote it down on, you know? Or I put it in my phone, and I have it in my phone, but I forgot to list how my phone, I put it in my phone, and I can't find it in my phone, even though it's there, Right? How would you like to be in control of the world and everybody being born and everything going on, getting them in the right place so that they could be at the right place at the right time that they would have the best opportunity to find Jesus? Boggles my mind. But so it does when you walk out and you see the stars in the sky and you know he knows all of them by name. That's God who loves you so much, who cares so much about you that he's going to arrange your whole existence so that you can be the closest to reach out even in your darkness and grope around and grab hold of the hem of his garment. Wow. Wow. And people say, well, you know, I don't want to serve God because God, you know, I mean, he's going to make me stop doing this or make me stop doing that. Well, you're supposed to be riding shotgun, remember? You're not supposed to be driving. And I know he knows better. And so let's follow him. And let's let him take us where he wants to take us because it's going to be the best place for us. It's going to bring us the greatest amount of joy, the greatest amount of peace, the greatest amount of glory. Yeah, you're going to run across idiots in life. Folks, listen to me. They're out there being bred right now, feeding at the trough of stupid. And they're going to come across your path and they're going to say the wrong thing and they're going to do the wrong thing and they're going to hurt you and they're going to do all kinds of things to you. They're out there. They're out there. 
So you might as well not get mad when it happens and just say, oh, you're one of those Pastor Robert's talking about. You've been feeding at the trough of stupid over there. Okay. You're not ever going to get away from it. I think sometimes I could be immune from it, but no. They're there. They're everywhere. Okay. But God put you in this place. He put you in this place. You're sitting here today because God wants you to grope for him, to try to, to, to grab hold of him, to find him, and this is the best place you could be at. So I get encouraged because I'm looking at y'all this morning. And I'm saying, well, praise God, you, you know, you, this is the best place, and they're the most receptive that could be here. I'm glad it's not a bunch of others that didn't want to be here. To find God. That's what it's all about is finding God and having a relationship with Him. Because everything else you try to do in life, every successful thing you try to do, and I can say this from the gray whiskers on my face, I know. You can seek, you can chase, you can, you can run after that, but you go get it and you finally got it and it don't bring you as much pleasure as you thought. But I can tell you, a relationship with Jesus only makes you stronger, only makes you better. The more you fall in love with him, the more you get in in connection with him, the greater you go up. So you say, well, well, okay, yeah, that's all real good. But, you know, man, I got some problems. I, I, I got some problems in life. I'm not really as nice as you think or I just cleaned up for today. Well, let me tell you, Romans 5 and 8 says, but God demonstrated his own love towards us that while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. That means God didn't care how much you stunk. Did not matter how much you stunk or how much you stink. Remember when they're going to get Lazarus out of the tomb and he was raising Lazarus and, and, and Mary said to him, Lord, he's been in there four days. He stinketh. Stinketh is the word that makes stink sound better. Stinketh. It's the King James word we can use. It stinketh. Makes you sound more sophisticated. Okay? And so, so, that's you. You stinketh. That's me. I stinketh. But it doesn't make any difference because Jesus said, I love you anyway, and I'm still going to go to the cross. I'm still going to pay the price for your sin on the cross of Calvary. I'm still going to go there. I'm still going to go and be beaten and crucified on a cross. Spill my blood out for you. Take it up to the altar in heaven. Pour it out on the mercy seat so your sins can be forgiven and you can have a relationship with God. Now listen. They blew, they, 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 they rolled that big stone in front of the, uh, uh, the grave, right? Of Jesus' grave. Rolled a big stone in front of it. And so, just at that, when Jesus was resurrected, it was no like little. Now, when he was resurrected, it blew the stone out. Hello? Blew it out. Blew the stone out. Listen, he ripped the veil in the temple, which is a veil that said that, that it take. Twelve yoke of oxen on each side of this material tied with ropes to try to rip it. It was that thick. And he ripped the material, ripped the veil, tore the veil down. And then he says over in Ephesians that he tore down the wall that separated between us and God that had always been there. So Jesus blew out the rock, he tore the veil, and he tore down the wall. Also, you could have a relationship with God on Resurrection Sunday. Now, the glory thing is, is that when Jesus came up, from the grave, he came up as the conquering king. Because the Bible tells us that he defeated death, hell, and the grave. 
He made an open show of the devil, made a spectacle of him in an open show. Okay? He, he rose. He didn't just rise up and say, wow, that was really weird. No, he arose from the grave like, like, you know, the, he was the conquering king. He came up because he had defeated death, hell, and the grave. That's why everything shifted and everything shook. That's why the veil was ripped. That's why the rock was blown out. That's why the wall was torn down. Because when he rose, he's the new king in charge. So then, John 10.10, Jesus had already predicted. He said, look, there's two of us. Let me just, I'm paraphrasing this, okay? There's two of us. He says, the devil, the thief, he's going to do this to you. He's going to kill, steal, and destroy in your life. That's what he's doing. That's his, his everything. It's to kill, steal, and destroy in your life. Now, on the other side of things, here I am. And I have come to give you life. Everybody say life. And life more abundantly. This is not like Miller High Life. This is life eternal. This is life that never quits. This is life that comes from being in the presence of Almighty God. This is life that comes and that causes dead things to come to life. Mm. Can't be dead in the presence of God because God is all life. And so when life gets so that, just, it has to come to life. All right? So, so what is God then? What is God then Doing for us. What is God doing in all this? Is this when he comes up from the grave, what's happening? Well, when he came up from the grave as a conquering king, he came up to give us freedom. Freedom from the devil. Freedom from the bondage. Freedom from everything that would ever come upon you. Freedom from things that you're walking in today. Hear what I'm saying. Hear what I'm saying. Freedom to walk in victory in some of the hard things you're walking in today. He came to set you free from it. He arose from the grave, and because he arose from the grave, and because you believe he arose from the grave, that power is in your life today for you to walk in victory. But the problem is we're not always taught. We always get caught up, man. We get caught up in the world. We either have, we either have wrong teaching or, 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 or hurtful things that keep us and hold us back, and we just don't learn, and we just don't grow, and we don't walk in what Jesus has done for us. We go to church, and we say, thank you, Lord, or coming back from the dead. Thank you for, for saving me. And then we just drop it off. We leave it at that. We don't walk in him. We don't, again, we're driving and he's riding shotgun. Only when we think well, things are really bad do we turn and ask him for it. All right? So the first thing, I don't have, this is not in any order. I'm just throwing these things out there because I could sit here and preach on this all day long. But just listen to me. He brought you freedom from separation. Separation that had always been between you and your heavenly father. Okay? Separated because God says, I'm perfect. So imperfection, walking into the presence of perfection, imperfection loses. Right? Aaron's two sons, Nadab and Abihu, when they went and took the, 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 the they called it profane fire. In other words, they were too lazy to take the fire from the altar where they were supposed to. They just put a throw of a piece of charcoal from that morning's breakfast onto the fire and walked into the presence of God, didn't consider God holy or whatever. And he just, it says, the Bible says it consumed them. They're dead. That's what happens when imperfection walks into perfection. So because we had the sin problem, we're always separated from God. 
The world today, the Bible, the Bible, excuse me, not the Bible, but the, the, the statistics say today that the world is right now is the loneliest place that there is, that more people are committing suicide because they're lonely. They have no connection. And then even going through COVID and everybody putting on a mask and it's caused everybody to separate and there's no connection anymore. And I don't know about y'all, but if y'all notice, everybody's just grumpy nowadays. You go anywhere, everybody's grumpy. I mean, I hate to go anywhere. The waitress walks up, what do you want? You know, I mean, it's just ridiculous. Everybody's not saying, why? Because they're stressed and they're pressured. And so people are separated and there's no, there's no relationship anymore. There's no just caring or feeling. If you find somebody that is, man, you better tip, not 20%, but 40%. You better bless them because they're a rare jewel, right? And so Jesus came to, 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 to do away with that separation, that loneliness, that, that ability that you don't feel connected with something. Jesus said, no, I want to do away with that. Because Ephesians 2.13, he says that you once were far, far off. Now you have been brought nigh by the blood of Jesus. You've been brought into the family of God. You have the ability to talk with God Almighty, the creator of the heavens and earth and all therein. Oh, man. Can you believe it? You, me, right now, me. I can talk with God Almighty. And he hears my prayers. Oh, man, to walk out. I like to pray in the mornings. I like to get up early in the mornings. And I, I was out this morning early, and I was praying. I was looking up, just looking at the scar. I had a, had a early this morning. You can see some stars. And, uh, and, and the moon was out, and I was just looking. I was just praying. I was just looking up, and I was like, man, isn't this cool that I get to talk to you? And you want to talk to me. And I know you're listening, and you're hearing my prayers. You may say, oh, you, it's because you're a preacher. You think you're something special. No. It's because the Bible tells me that when I pray, my prayers are heard in heaven. I just believe what the word says. I just believe God's not going to tell me anything that's, that's not right. And you say, well, see, that's a, that's a psychosis that you think you're talking to somebody. And uh, Hey, I'm happy. Are you? How much drugs and medication do you need to keep going? I'm happy. I'm a happy guy. Man. Well, well, what's up? I mean, you know, come on. Let's just think about this and look at this the little reality here, okay? But he took you and he, because Jesus arose from the grave, he stopped there from being loneliness and separation in your life, okay? The next thing is, is according to Romans 8 and 2, it says, The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Listen to me. He's made you free from having to fear death. Because most of the world is afraid of dying. Because they believe it's the end of existence. But actually, when a person is in Christ Jesus, is born again, is saved, knows Jesus, you don't go from life to death, you go from life to life. There is no death. You can't kill me. You can send me to heaven, and please do, glory to God, you'd be doing me a favor. But you can't kill me. Everybody said, well, that's just crazy thinking. You'd be ceased to exist on this earth, but I'd be in heaven. And like I tell my wife, well, it's going to be tough, but you're going to deal with it. <laughs> I'm going to be in heaven and run down the streets of gold in my socks. I'm be having some fun. But he said that because of the resurrection, you've gotten the freedom from the power of death over your life. The third one is, is Galatians 3.13. It says that you have been freed from the curse that's on this world. There's a curse on this world. 
I don't know if y'all really understand that, but everybody, even clinical psychologists agree, there is a curse on this world. You plant a garden, weeds are going to grow up. You don't address the weeds, they're going to take over and kill your garden. There's always something trying to kill it. You go, you, 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 whatever. Rust is eating at your truck right now. All right? The fourth thing is, is he's giving you freedom from the power of the enemy. The devil, the devil wants to, you to think that he has got some power and authority over you. But Colossians 1.13 says, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us in the kingdom of the son of his love. We still walk in a world that's cursed. We still are around people that are, are full of the devil. We still are having to deal with people that have evil thoughts and evil intents and evil whatever. That's the world we live in, this fallen world we live in. But, but the power of it over you is only what you allow to happen. Here's a for instance. Listen to me. This is good preaching. Somebody comes and does something ugly to you. You have a choice right then. If you take an offense, you get mad, you get angry, you start hating them, the enemy's going to take advantage of you. But you have the power to turn around and say, well, I forgive you. You don't know what you're talking about, but I forgive you. I'm not going to walk in anger. I'm going to walk in love. The Bible says, love my enemies, so I'm just going to love you, brother. And then you're free, and then it goes back over upon them. And the Bible says, literally, the Lord heaps burning coals of fire upon their head. And it's all on them. You have the power to do that. Are you going to choose to do it? Well, I don't know. It's a choice of yours. You could just sit there and say, I'm going to hate them. I don't care what it costs me. I'm going to hate them. I'm going to hate them. Well, you're going to reap that. But you have the ability to have freedom to get out of it. And it's not God's fault. And everybody always wants to say, well, God, why'd you let this happen to me? Hey, we live in a fallen world. But he gave you the power to overcome it, to be more than a conqueror, to be more than an overcomer. But you have to walk in his plan. Let him drive. You're in shotgun and you need to shut up. Quit telling him where to park. Romans 6.6 is the next one. You have freedom from sin. Sin does not have dominion over you. I remember years ago, this is a long time ago, but a person came to me and they were so upset because they could not quit smoking cigarettes and this person talked to me for a while and 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 they were just I mean they were heartbroken they just couldn't break the habit of smoking and I said you know what you need to do I can tell you right now I have some wisdom I feel like the Holy Spirit just spoke this to me you need to have some wisdom about this and uh, this is what you need to do and they said okay what I'll do anything I said you need to smoke enjoy it and just fall in love with Jesus and they're like, what? I can't do that. I said, no, smoke in your prayer time. I don't care. You just need to go light up one, enjoy it, smoke, forget about it. Just enjoy it. But just fall in love with Jesus and worship him more and more every day. And then just watch. One day you're going to wake up and you're not going to want to smoke anymore because you've been in the presence of Jesus. But as long as you can't get in the presence of Jesus because you feel guilty about smoking, I said, you're never going to get free. And, and the person looked at me like, you know, like I was insane. And I said, I'm telling you. I said, just fall in love with Jesus. Just do it. And they never could. They could never do it. They never did it. They went to their grave feeling guilty 
about smoking. And I was like, really? You let that separate you from what God had for you? So, folks, I'm just telling you, it's, a, it's in our, within our power to not have sin have dominion over us. You just have to understand how to get out of it. Because of the resurrection, Jesus made a way for you to get out. God's always been working on your behalf. You've got to understand that. God has always been working on your behalf. That's what Paul said in Acts 17. He's always been working. He set you at this place. He put you in this place because this is where you're going to get love. This is where you're going to get blessed. This is where you're going to have opportunity. This is where everything's going to be there for you. He knows what's going on. Wow. I just am so excited because I know that when you start thinking about that, then it starts making things make sense. Philippians 1.6 says that he has started a good, be confident of this very thing that he started a good work in you. He's going to finish it. What work? This work that Paul's talking about. The work that he's always coming around here to, be, to, 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 to get you in this place in life where he can work with you, right? How about Colossians 1.22? He says, in the, in the body of his flesh to, to death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach. So he's working to work in you to get you to a place that you're holy and unblameable and unreprovable in God's sight. He's working you into a place that Jude 24 says he's, Jesus is going to present you to the Father and he's going to have a smile on his face. I love that one because I could just see him going up there. There's God the Father. Here's Jesus with me. And he said, yeah, here's Robert. I mean, make you feel really good, right? Yeah, I got him. We did get him in here. Close call. Got him in right there in. No, the Bible says he's going to present you with exceeding joy. Ah, look, Robert's here. That's the work he's working in you. You say, oh, I feel so far from God. Listen to me. If you feel far from God, it's because the enemy has, has clogged your mind up in not understanding what the resurrection power in Jesus is alive has done for you and that he's put you right there. And as Paul said, he's near. He's close. He's just the mention of a name away. So now here's my points. That was all the introduction. How are you going to do this? I'm telling you all this. How are you going to do this? How are you going to walk in this? How can I let... How can I send y'all out of here today with something to hold on to that you know that if you do step one, step two, step three, step four, you're going to be getting closer? Okay, here's number one. All right. Get out of the way. Galatians 2 and 20 says, for I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me. And gave himself for me. The first thing you got to do is get out of the way. You have got to take the position of shotgun and quit driving. You've got to. If you want the resurrection power in your life, you have to get it. And she said, well, what does that mean? I just get up every morning and just whatever happens, happens. No, you have to do it kind of like I do. I wake up in the morning and, and I pray. And I said, God, I thank you today. You said you would lead me with your eye. You would guide me. You would direct me. You would make my crooked path straight. That's what you said. So I'm going to start walking in this direction. Because the Bible also says by faith we have to move. And so I'm going to walk in this direction. If that's not the right direction, well, then you just start adjusting my day. If I thought I was supposed to call somebody and that I never can get hold of them, but I had to talk to somebody else, well, then, Lord, I'm just believing you that's the direction for the day. If I was going to go north, but I ended up having to go south, Lord, I just thank you, you're just going to direct my day. If I thought I was going to, you know, do this or, you know, this was going to happen and it didn't happen, there's no sense me standing there mad saying, I can't believe I cursed the day you were born. You didn't do what you said you are going to do. 
or getting mad at the devil and saying, foul devils from the bed of hell, you're coming against me, you're not letting me accomplish what I want to today. A lot of Christians lose their time doing that. I'm kind of like I go in that direction and then I, I pray about it. Lord, I thought I was going to go over there. I don't, you don't want me to go over there? I don't have to wait to hear a voice. If it didn't work, and I'm not going to go over there and get my crowbar out and try to beat the door down. I'm just going to find that other direction. Okay, which way am I supposed to go now? And then there comes that time in my day that I say, Lord, it's close to nap time, isn't it? <laughs> Can you not have anybody call me during nap time, Lord? But you got to get out of the way. You've got to get out of the way, church. You've got to quit trying to control every second of every moment of your life and start trusting in the power of the Spirit of God, that resurrection power to be working and flowing in your life, that God is ordering your steps and preparing your ways. Amen? So look at the person beside you and say, get out of the way. Now, the second one here seems kind of simple, but it's really powerful. Hebrews eleven six. It says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. The second one is simply this. You've got to put your faith and your trust in God. Folks, listen to me. Our government's not going to bail us out. The next president, he's not going to bail us out. He may change some things. One may be better than the other one. One may keep the course of the country running in a better direction than, than we want it to go. Yes. But they're not our answer. They're not our answer. The only answer you've got is your faith and your belief in Jesus Christ. Because I'm telling you what, he's the only one that will not let you down. When you think he's let you down, only the reason why you think that is because you don't understand what was going on. You just don't understand it. So you got to put your faith in God. So now you're not, you're, you're riding shotgun. You're riding shotgun, but you're trusting that Jesus is going to take you where you want to go. Now the Bible says God wants to give you the desires of your hearts. Right? And isn't it amazing that he can drive you where your heart wants to go and he can drive somebody else where their heart wants to go. Some of you may just love something. You know, that's your taste. You love it. That's what you want. Like any time I go to a restaurant that has white tablecloths, I get nervous. I can't eat. I can never digest anything that's eating. I don't care how good the food is. White tablecloths immediately, it's like going to a doctor's office. If I was just going into a doctor's office to collect a check, I would still get nervous. I just see the bed. I smell the smell. I see that paper laying on top of the deal. I get freaked out. Well, same thing. I walk into a restaurant and there's white tablecloths. I'm like, oh, God, I have to behave myself. I'm not supposed to drop stuff. I mean, how do you do this? Is it elbows are off the table? I mean, my God. Uh, you know, I want barbecue. I want barbecue thrown on a, on, a, on a brown paper on my table and just eat off of it like a dog, you know? That's when I'm comfortable, right? I'm sorry. That's just when I'm comfortable. When you, when you have to get your pocket knife out and can work with it and cut it and it's not frowned upon, I love it. Now we're talking. This is my kind of restaurant. This is a place I want to eat where the jalapenos come out whole. They're not all sliced and cut up. I know I'm at home. I mean, this is, the, this is it. Okay? So, but Jesus has a way to take you to the place where you want to be comfortable at. Now, once in a while, he tries to take you to get a little culture in your life to the white tablecloths. 
And I say, Lord, okay, I'll take it for a little bit, but then get me out of here quick. Get me back to where the food's on the table, just laying there on a piece of paper. Okay? So you have to trust him. You have your faith in him. You have to trust him that he's going to be driving you to the place that's the best. All right? The third thing here. The third thing simply this. All right? And you got to understand this. You got to understand what I'm what I'm saying here. I grew up in a with in, in the I grew up under my father whose generation was you did not talk about Jesus. You didn't talk about religion. You didn't you didn't ever vocalize it. It was something that was personal. It was something that you were supposed to just just uh, have an experience, but you didn't ever say anything to anybody. And so when I got saved and I got you know got Pentecostal, my father had a hard time accepting that I. I was preaching and I was telling people how to make their relationship right with Jesus and giving altar calls and, 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 and questioning people, are you saved, and stuff like this, because that wasn't from his generation. His generation didn't do that. And so, but the thing that I will say that I'm right on here is that your confession, what comes out of your mouth, has to have faith in it. And it has to be an expression of your faith. And it has to come out of your mouth and it has to be able for someone to hear it. Because if you're living your whole life in secret, you're a secret Christian. I'm telling you, you're not productive that way. You need to have, be able to sit down with your husband or your wife, and you need to be able to talk about the Bible. With me? You need to talk about the Bible. Not like, oh, don't say anything. You know, it makes her nervous when we start talking about Jesus. She thinks I'm going to do something freaky, you know. That's not a relationship. You need to be able to talk about your faith. You need to be able to talk of your faith with your friends. When And I'll just, I'll just tell on him and, and put him on the spot. I know he's listening to me right now. But my buddy, Dwayne, when we're out, we're going hunting. We're still riding around the ranger with guns, wanting to shoot something, kill something. But we're talking about Jesus. We're talking about He's telling me what he read in the Bible and asking me, what do we think about that? And I'm telling him what I read in the Bible and we're talking. That's our conversation through the day. That's not sissy. We were raised that way, that that's sissy. You don't talk about things. But I'm telling you, it's that confession out of your mouth that builds your faith and strengthens you. And if you don't do it, you're just a closet Christian, a hidden person who has a relationship with Jesus, but it's all secretive. If you have never prayed out loud, oh, now I freaked you out. If you have never prayed and talked to God out loud where your own ears could hear it, if you've just talked to Him in your head, listen to me, you're selling yourself short. The power comes when you get it coming out of your mouth. When your faith begins to be confessed out of your mouth, because Romans 10.10 says, With the heart one believes unto righteousness, and the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Salvation comes, resurrection power comes, when the word starts coming out of your mouth. And let me tell you something, there is no stupid prayer. You can't pray to God and be stupid. Or sound stupid to him. He just wants to talk to you. That's the third thing you need to do. The fourth thing is what Hebrews 12, 1 tells us. It says, therefore, we also, since we have, are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and every sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, 
looking unto Jesus. Listen to me, church. You have to look to Jesus for everything that's going on into your life. He is the answer for every problem. I don't care what it is. I remember, I'll tell you this, because I, I was going to say this, and I thought, well, yeah, I can back that up with the story. I was going to say, he even knows the math problems. When I first started carpentering, after I'd gone broke and, and, and went into the, the carpentry business, and, and I was working for a guy who was the lowest man on the totem pole, and one day we were cutting the pitch on rafters. And you didn't have to just, we, we came over to the side where you, we have to start cutting in the jack rafters, which are the short ones that come, and they have an angle going one direction and an angle going the other direction. And so you have to be able to cut these babies on two different angles. And so it gets kind of complicated to get them figured out right and to get them cut. And so everybody's trying to set their saws. All the skilled carpenters are trying to set their saws, and they, I'm just the nailer because I'm the lowest man on the totem pole. So they would cut one. They would throw it up to me. I'd take it up there. I'd lay it down the spot it's supposed to go, put it in there. I'd say, that's not right. It's the wrong angle, and I'd throw it back down. And so the guys would then they'd, and they'd cut them another one. They'd throw it back up there, and then they'd put it up there, and I'd set it up in there and lay it back down. And wasn't right. And so I'd throw it back down. I said, it's all, you know, it's too long on the point, or it's too long on the heel, or something, you know. And, and, they, and those guys would, so they were arguing. We were cutting around. And so I just, I just sitting there, and I said, I, I, I don't remember if this is even right, but I said, you, you got to cut it on a 16 and a half degree angle on a 3 and 12 pitch. I'm like, what is that? You know, like, I had a speed square and I was just kind of looking at it and I was like, what is that? And so they look up and say, what do you know? And so one of them cut it. And they threw it back up to me and I set it down to fit like a glove. And they said, how did you know? I said, Jesus told me. And then they're just like, oh, my God. Don't talk to Robert anymore, you know. But he really told me. I mean, it's just like, I just knew it. He didn't, I didn't hear a booming voice. It just came in my head. I knew it. That was a degree. That was the angle. And boom, they cut it, and it was perfect. So all I'm saying is you got to look to Jesus for everything. There's an answer for everything. Why doesn't the stove work? Jesus knows. What do you need to, to say to your husband to make your marriage better? Jesus knows. You see, whatever, it's a complicated problem or a minuscule problem. Jesus knows you have to look to him. Why? Because he arose from the dead. He has resurrection power that can come into your life and to be able to touch you and to heal you and to fix whatever is going on in life. Now, this is the last scripture I'm going to give you. Romans 8, 11. It says, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, dwells in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. He will give you life. Everybody say life again. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, so then the Holy Spirit in us through salvation is the same resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead. So how can we take our salvation lightly? If you make Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of your life, you confess with your mouth, you believe in him, you say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins, wash me in your blood, you have an experience with Jesus. How can we take that salvation lightly if that is the same power that took Jesus, raised him up from the dead? 
How can you not be equipped with everything you need in life if resurrection power is in you by the Spirit of God? It's only that we're not using it. I met an old carpenter one time who told me that they used to build houses with literally a handsaw. And he had it in the back of his truck. He pulled out this old handsaw. And he said, I used to build houses with a handsaw. And I said, well, I'm going to use the power saw. It may be a great talent, but I ain't messing with the handsaw. Maybe you're using the handsaw in life. And you didn't realize you had a power saw in your toolkit. Maybe you've been using the mochete to cut the tree down. And you could have gotten the chainsaw. But everything Jesus is doing in your life, he's doing to equip you so that you can walk in victory in this life. What happened 2,000 years ago when Jesus came up from the resurrection, when he came up from the dead and he blew off that rock, ripped the veil, tore down the wall, that same power is residing in you today if Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior of your life. So what is the answer to the world's problems? Jesus. What is the answer to the problems in your life? Jesus. To understand what it is and how to walk in it, no matter what it is, because Jesus produces life. Life. Working in your bodies. So I want you just to put your Bibles up right now. And sweetie, come up and play me a pretty tune. And so what I want you to do right now is I want us just to stop here for a minute and I want us just to look inside our hearts. And ask yourself first the question, do you know Jesus? Ask yourself the question, if you die today, do you know you're going to go to heaven? Because you're right with him. Those of you out watching, ask yourself the question right now. Do you know you're right with him? If you were to die today, do you know you're going to go to heaven? He made the way, but are you going to walk in it? Now, I just feel like I need to say this. The world says, yes, Jesus made a way so everybody's saved and everybody's going to go to heaven. But that's not true. Jesus made a way for it. His blood poured out on the cross and then taken to heaven and poured out on the mercy seat. Yes, it made it available for every person to go to heaven. But only if they believe in Jesus and look to him as their Lord and Savior. They've got to apply his blood to their life. You've got to ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins. There is no universal salvation. It's a personal salvation. When you commit your life to Jesus and decide to ride shotgun and let him drive in your life. So if you're not sure, if you're either in the building here or you're watching and listening to this, you're not sure, I want to pray with you. I just want to pray with you. And I want to ask you to just, if, you, if, if this is you, I want you to repeat this prayer after me. Say, Jesus, today I commit my life to you. I believe you are the Son of God. 
I believe you died on a cross for me. And I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Wash me in your blood and make me whole. Thank you, Jesus. Now, if you prayed that for the very first time today, I just want you to understand, right now, resurrection power just came into your life. Everybody say glory. So now you got to ask yourself the second question for today. Who's driving, you or Jesus? Just think about that for a minute. Who's driving your life, you or Jesus? If through this message you realize that you're... (laughs) I I got some tickets one time to go drive up at... uh, the Texas Speedway and to drive the actual race car. And the, the, there was somebody in there with me, thank God. And, uh, and he told me, he said, look, if you're going too fast or you're getting off the track, you're not hitting the spot to make the turn, I will get hold of the wheel. I will take the wheel and I will maneuver that car. I thought, yeah, right. And I didn't make it to the first turn. His hand grabbed the wheel, and he took me through the first turn. Some of us are living our life like that with Jesus. Yeah, we said, you're saying to me today, oh, yeah, I'm, dri- I'm riding shotgun, yeah, but you kind of got your hand over there on the wheel, and you're kind of like trying to help Jesus turn. Well, he doesn't need any help turning. He doesn't need any help driving that car, okay? And so the second question is this. Are you driving or is he driving? And if you're sitting in the seat, do you have your hand on the wheel? You just got to ask yourself that. Now, I want to pray again. And you can just get in this prayer. Because you need to repent because you've been been messing with the wheel. (laughs) You've been... You've been reaching over there, messing with the wheel. You need to repent. It's on the way to get. You say, say, sorry, Lord. I ain't going to mess with the wheel no more. Forgive me for touching the wheel. I'm going to sit in the shotgun seat. And I'm going to keep my mouth shut. Now, praise God, for this moment, you're clean. For this moment, you're clean. You just repented. Now, how long you keep from reaching over there and grabbing the wheel again. But I'm praying the conviction of the Holy Spirit upon us that when you do it, you're going to realize you did it and just stop right there and say, I'm sorry, Lord. I'm sorry, Lord. I repent. I ain't touching the wheel. You're driving. Amen? Okay. Now, the third thing. Third thing I'm going to pray for you about. And for this one, I want everybody just to stand up. And matter of fact, if I have anybody that's on the prayer team today, y'all just come down right now. I want you to understand something, church. There is a world out there that is hurting. They do not know Jesus. They do not know love. They do not know peace. 
They do not know grace. They do not know freedom. They do not know forgiveness. They're angry. They're hurting. Some of them are just feeding at the trough of stupid continually. And you need to help them get free. Now, only ones that can do it is you. The only one that's going to speak, I'm telling you, for the greatest revival that we could have is not for me to set up a big tent and, and come in here blowing smoke. The greatest revival that could happen is you begin to tell your friends. You get active and you begin to tell your friends about Jesus. You get them to church. You get them to help reading their Bibles. You, it's you. It's a personal relationship that's going to make all the difference in the world. Amen? So I want to pray for you now. And bless you as we go out on this Easter sunrise. Not sunrise. We already did that one. This Easter, this resurrection service. Now I'm getting it right. And you go out, man, enjoy your family today. Enjoy your friends. Be a blessing everywhere you can. But I want you to pray that you have eyes to see those that need help. Amen. Our prayer team's up here. If anybody needs prayer, you got anybody sick in the hospital, needs prayer, and you just want to pray for them, come on up here and when we get through and you can they'll pray with you and agree with you. But Father, right now I pray over these people. I pray over them all, Lord God, that as we go out into this world, that we go out into a world that we know is is hurting, Lord. And I pray that like John 4 says that Lord you give us eyes for the harvest, eyes to be able to see, eyes to be able to 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 to, to help people to see those hurting. Lord, ears to hear their cries. But Lord, I thank you mostly for a voice to tell them the good news of Jesus and that you are a risen Savior and that you have given us power to walk in victorious in this life. So Lord, bless them. Bless our time with our families today. Bless our households, Lord God. And I thank you today that the good hand of God is upon us all. And so Lord, We give you praise for it. We thank you that you are alive and well and moving in our lives. So bless them, Lord, as we go in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. God bless you, church.